Greetings, Earthlings. Welcome to Satellite, Profile Theater's online supplementary magazine. Satellite is where you will come for interviews with artists, activists, and educators, and whoever else might give you a deeper understanding of the work that Profile puts on the stage or in these troubled times over the internet. At Profile Theater, we spend an entire season exploring the work of a given playwright. Our best artists help us see. And at Profile, each year, we use a different writer's unique perspective as a lens that helps us see our shared world in new and surprising ways. With Satellite, Profile is always looking for new avenues to deepen our audience's experience of the art, pulling back the curtain, providing insight, and giving our audience a glimpse of the act of creation. And now, welcome to Satellite. Greetings, Earthlings. Welcome back to Satellite, Beyond the Page, Profile Theater's online magazine. This month's episode of Satellite orbits Profile's production of The Elaborate Entrance of Chad Deity by Christopher Diaz, directed by Josh Hecht. We'll talk with playwright Christopher Diaz, who's been a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize and winner of the Lucille Lortel, Opie, and New York Times Outstanding Playwright Awards. We'll talk about playwriting, sports, and breaking through barriers. Then we'll talk with professional wrestler William Malcolm Flex Evans, who served as wrestling director on Chad Deity, about his career and why he thought pro wrestlers were divas until he started working in the theater. But first up, award-winning playwright and profile theater featured writer, Christopher Diaz. So now I'm here with Christopher Diaz, uh, the playwright of the elaborate entrance of Chad Deity, among others. Welcome to Arroyos. Welcome, Christopher. Do you use Chris? Christopher? Chris is, Chris is fine. Christopher professionally, but, you know, conversation like this, Chris is good. Either one. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. Um, obviously, uh, when I first heard of you, I found you instantly interesting and exciting because of the stuff that you you, you wrote about. And so I am I am curious, like, you know, uh, um, I haven't seen too many instances where, um, you know, just like the sports side of folks blends into the art side of folks. Can you tell me a little bit about that uh, alchemy and how that came about? Yeah, it's a great, um, you know, starting place. It, I grew up... Um, interested more in the uh, sports side of things than anything else. I was a grew up just outside of New York City in the suburbs and um, just, you know, outside of the Bronx. I was a lifelong New York Yankees fan, lifelong professional wrestling fan, um, lifelong uh, New Jersey, now Brooklyn Nets fan, which we don't admit to too much um, these days. It's tough to be a fan of that team. But um, uh, that was sort of what I was always interested in. And, and, and um, when I got into theater years later in, in high school, I did musicals before I did anything else. Um, and, you know, those two things seemed really different, especially the world of musicals and sports. Um, and then the world of theater and sports seemed really different. But, uh, you know, I got involved with a group called the Hip Hop Theater Festival while I was in college and, uh, and in graduate school. And it's folks like... Um, Danny Hawk and Clyde Valentine, Camila Forbes, um, the late Chadwick Boseman was a part of that group. And it was all folks who were making theater out of the stuff that they cared about, which happened to be at that time, really hip hop music, hip hop culture. And uh, through my exposure to those folks and then other writers like John Leguizamo and Sarah Jones, um, I got to start to see that you could really write about anything that you cared about. 
And um, that led me to write Welcome to Arroyos, which is a hip hop theater piece. And then years later to write about professional wrestling, which was the thing that I probably knew better than anything else in the world. I was that big of a fan. So, you know, just as you start to see people who are able to make art out of the things they care about, you start to realize that you can make art out of the things you care about too. Right. And it's, I mean, you know, and it's funny. I remember when I first uh, encountered Chad D, uh, it's just like, you know, there's, there's so um, the, the relationship between professional wrestling and theater is so obvious. I was like, how has no one ever thought of this before? You yeah. Know? You know, it's, it's, it's funny because even, you know, when I was growing up, um, uh, wrestling was still, you know, largely, considered well i don't know if it was considered but you know sort of real it was trying to pass itself off as real in a lot of ways you know quote unquote real and um you know even then it's very obvious that like you know when you watch a hulk hogan match back in the 80s and they all end exactly the same way looks like the bad guy's about to defeat him but he starts like holding his finger up in the air and fighting back you know and you see him do the exact same thing every four months for six years of your life you realize that there's something something happening there all but you don't buy into it. you don't overtly say that you know there was never sort of overtly you know this is um this is this is theater. This is art as much as it is sport. By the time I got to college, those rules within professional wrestling became a little more blurry and then became the wrestling itself started to admit that it was predetermined and it was a TV show more than anything else. So at that point, um, I was in I was studying theater in college. I was I was, I was and then in graduate school, I was studying playwriting and um, and it just became really, really obvious. The stories were being told the same way. Um, you needed to do the same things. You needed to work together with the person that you were telling stories with. And somebody needed to have a sense of what the big story you were trying to tell was. So it became really clear very quickly at that point that uh, this was like fertile ground to write about. Yeah, because, you know, and what's uh, so fascinating is like, I feel like, um, you know, and I and I, I feel like I was in, in in the professional wrestling slightly before you were. So it was like uh, Jimmy Superfly Schnuka was like um, my favorite guy, and like Tony Atlas and Andre the Giant and some of those guys. And I remember like, um, and I was a paper boy back when you know you had newspapers, mm-hmm. um, and like the, one of the things I would win would be like uh, for us, we were in South Jersey to, to, trips to the Spectrum to watch professional wrestling, and. Um, how intense the, the 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 audience get the audiences get at a wrestling match? Um, I feel like even like you know because there's a good guy and a bad guy, and even though you know how it's going to end, um, uh, but 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 like I remember my dad, cause my dad came with me one time, and him just being like blown away, like oh my god, it was so intense in there when Chief Jules and Jay Strongbow entered into the ring, you know. Um, uh, and I feel like theater is always like, you know, quote unquote, straight theater is always reaching for for that, actually, for that kind of emotional audience engagement. Yeah, totally, totally. So, you know, so I, I, I come up around that time, you know, the first WrestleMania, you know, whatever that year that was, 1984, um, we watched it on closed circuit television. Like you go to a building and watch it at probably Westchester County Center or something like that. Um, and yeah, the intensity level was, was, was different in those days, um, because there was still this element of like, 
you believed it. I cried in WrestleMania. WrestleMania one, I cried when the the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov, right. Mike Rotunda, and Barry Windham. And I cried because it wasn't fair. It wasn't even that I cared about those guys. It was just, it wasn't fair. It wasn't fair. I was seven years old, right? Um, but years later, you, you know, I went in and now it's such a big um, production. But I took my son a few years ago to Madison Square Garden and uh, the the second or third wrestler that came out was The Undertaker. And it was the most incredible, just the entrance was incredible. And there's this giant video moon and he came out and took his sweet ass time. And my kid's jaw was on the floor. And, um, and I'm like, man, I could never get him to have that kind of reaction to theater. He's come to theater with me a couple of times. He's not interested in what I write for sure. Uh, but, um, but, you know, we, but how do we, how do we get people to have those kinds of reactions and how do I get people to care about it the way that I cared about it back when I watched, you know, wrestling way back when. And so, um, you know, that's a huge buy-in. And then the fact is it's, it's live, you know, it's live. The things that I love about it are the same things that I love about theater. It's, it's live. It's happening in front of you every single night. Mistakes happen. Really bad things happen. I've seen really bad, you know, injuries and things like that in, in, in wrestling matches. And that's not the good part, but I've also seen, you know, just amazing moments of improvisation or amazing moments that could only happen there in front of you. And that, you know, it's all, it's all of a piece to me. It's all, all the same mindset. I mean, and nowadays, uh, uh, you're, you're pretty successful. Like you're a known commodity across the country. In in the beginning, when you were writing about wrestling and you're writing about basketball, uh, did you, did you run into, uh, it, like like resistance or anything? But was anybody like you know this is not really what theater is supposed to be about? You know, and that's a that's a really great question. I don't think I did, um, but I was expecting it. I was expecting it around every corner. I, I wrote Welcome to a Royals when I was in graduate school, and it took me a long time. It took me the first year plus to feel like I could write about that play. That plays about you know um, Puerto Ricans and the role of Puerto Ricans in um, in the creation of hip hop music and culture, you know, set in the Lower East Side and bar and had DJs on stage and had graffiti being written, being, being like put up, you know, during the show right in front of people. And um, it took me a long time to think that people would accept that, or, you know, people would be looking for that. And um, they weren't necessarily right away when I got out into the professional world, it took me a long time to get that play produced. Um, but, um, but I don't necessarily know if the, the, the fear of um other f- if other folks had the same hesitation with producing that stuff as i thought they did coming into it i think over time it became a little more accept you know it becomes a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy i'm not gonna i won't i won't down play it i do think that there were you know it, it took me seven years to get that play produced and that play was out in the world and um people seemed to like it but didn't know how to cast it didn't know how to put it up on stage so there were issues there but um but there definitely were barriers um, uh, uh, in my mind that were out there. And then when it came time to, um, to, to, to write, uh, Chad Deity, I had been in the business for a while, like I said, not able to get sort of a full production anywhere and was just kind of feeling fed up with it all. And, um, and, you know, you get that advice, write what you know. And, 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 and I knew wrestling, I knew wrestling really well. And, um, and I was like, well, I don't know that anybody's ever going to want to see this player, read this player, produce this player, understand this play, but I got to do it. 
because uh, it's something that I can do that nobody else really can do. And um, and and I was in a place where I was like, and if it doesn't work, well, then maybe I just go get a real job and go do something else in my life. So um, so I had that off off my my, you know, that weight off my shoulders. And then uh, that really freed me up to write it. So it became a little bit of a sense of uh, the, the ironic thing, I guess, is you have to get to that place of feeling like it doesn't matter if anybody's going to do this or not. It doesn't matter if anybody's going to understand right. it or not. And then that puts you in a place where people actually want to buy in because you 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 know you, you freed yourself from the restrictions. You freed yourself absolutely. Right. Um, uh, going back to that uh, the first production, um, what was that like? Were, were, were there? Uh, uh, did you feel like there were like you, you were running limitations with you know a- a- asking actors to do things that professional athletes do? You know, like you know, a lot of times you see it in movies and television. You know, you're like, oh my god! Obviously, that dude has never thrown a football before. You know, um, obviously, so and so had never played baseball before. Yeah. You know, did you run into any of that kind of? It's a it's a scary thing. It's um, you know, and still to this day, the play is being produced a bunch, and uh, we're asking actors to do things that they're that they don't know how to do, um, and you know, move their bodies in ways that their bodies uh, generally don't move. So, you know, that's, it's always a little bit of a, of a, of a challenge and a fear. Um, the first production we did of this play, uh, I got very lucky. It was part of uh, something originally called the Ignition Festival in Chicago at Victory Gardens Theater. And we did the uh, one-week workshop of it that ended in a, in a staged reading. And um, we didn't have to do any of the moves for that part. And although we did add one kick, the super kick, uh, in the middle of one of the the, the, the readings, we actually had a re- we had a, a one of the performers do the kick, and the audience had an incredible reaction to it because they'd never seen anything like it, uh, or they weren't expecting it, I guess. And um, so that was that was sort of an eye opening thing. Then we moved into another workshop where we just worked on the text and we didn't have to do any of the moves, and then uh, that moved into a full production. And that full production, you know, we got a grant. Um, I believe from the Edgerton Festival, Edgerton Foundation uh, for new plays that gave us a grant. They gave us an extra week of rehearsal just to teach these guys how to wrestle. And it wasn't just to teach them how to wrestle, but it was to get them in the shape that they needed to be. Uh, You have to build up your neck and your shoulders if you're going to get slammed on your back a bunch of times. You have to stretch out. Um, our, 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 uh, guy who played VP, Usman Ali, the original VP spent a ton of time in yoga doing like pigeon pose in yoga because you have to open up those hips, uh, cause there's no way to, you know, to do it otherwise, but we knew we were going to be doing this show for a long time. We had like a, we had months of, of, um, preparation time and all those guys spent that entire, those entire few months working out because, you know, there's, and there's no way to fake it. You know, we did another, um. We did another production of the show with a wrestler, Al Snow. Uh, I don't know if you, you know how much of a wrestling fan you are. There's a guy named Al Snow, and he he did the fight choreography for it. Um, and they asked him, the director asked him, well, how do you fake the kick to the face uh, when you guys are doing it? And he says, yeah, we get kicked in the face. <laughs> There's no faking it. You know, it's not stage combat. It's, it's you know, it's they know how to how to take it in a different way. And, you know, but it's like, yeah, you make contact. Um so we had to learn the, you know, <laughs> what can we do? What can't we do? You know, what's going to make it look right. Um, and it, uh, it's always a little bit, uh, I don't, I don't usually say this to the production teams. My fingers are always crossed um, whenever they go into production because there are lots of injuries and it's, it's a dangerous show to do. 
It's funny. I actually uh, talked to the wrestling director for um, Profiles Production. Um, <laughs> he said the same thing. He was, he was just like, it took some getting used to. He was like, oh, you, you, but you're, you're so far away from him. You, you, don't, you don't touch him? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you would miss, you know, we would hold up, we'd hold, people can't see, you know, we're just listening, but I would hold up my hands when we were doing it in the theater, like, how much did that kiss, that kick miss by, you know, and you, you miss by a foot in the theater and it's okay, um, depending on your sight lines. But, you know, the interesting thing about professional wrestling and some of the productions of this show is if you do it in the round, you know, professional wrestling is in an arena, there are fans on all sides, there's no way to fake that. On stage, we can hedge it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and... Uh, <laughs> that was a very funny part of the conversation. Um, before we get out of here, um, one of the things uh, that I know, um, like Josh talked to me once about your interest was, you know, uh, when, when Profile was talking about its outreach programs, that you really wanted like some, a little bit of focus to be on uh, young straight men of color. You know, um, can you tell me a little bit about that? You know, it's 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 interesting, even like, you know, talking about it, it's not something that we usually get to to do. Um, and in the theater, um, you know, it's it's I'm always interested in like voices that I haven't seen before, voices that I haven't heard before. And, um, you know, or it, voices that I haven't seen making theater and doing things like that. And I write about I write about sports. I write about, you know, uh, it tends to be plays that have men, not always straight men, but often straight men, um, engaged in physical contact with each other, engaged in problem solving together. And Chad Deity is all, we joke, we always joke with the original production team that one of the subtexts of Chad Deity was how straight boys tell each other that they love each other. And it's by making fun of each other and hitting each other and doing, you know, doing dumb right. stuff to, you know, community is a real sort of centerpiece of a lot of it. So, um, so I think that's a big, it's a big deal. I also think a lot just about men in general, the place men are, uh, in, in, in culture right now, how things are shifting, um, how much crisis there is, I think with, with, with young men, especially I teach and I'm around, you know, sort of young men in general, not just, and this is, you know, the, I think the, the, the borders of all of these are permeable too. So it's not just young men, it's young men and women and, and, uh, non-binary folks, it's, people of color, it's mixed race folks, it's, you know, everybody, everybody's dealing with the pandemic and the war and everything that's going on. So I think there's a lot there, but I do think that one of the things I don't see a ton of is, I don't hear a lot of, are the voices of young men of color um, and young straight men of color. Um, I don't know exactly what that means. I don't know exactly what the kind of things that we're looking for, we may look at, we may talk about, we may do a play involving some of these ideas down the road. I don't know exactly what that is, but um, but I know there are voices that I want to hear and and give room to and 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 you know and be able to explore how um, I don't know uh, what their what our places are in you know in, in contemporary society, what our issues are. How do we you know how do we find space to uh, grapple with the things we need to grapple with without taking up space from all the other folks you need to grapple with the stuff, you know, that they're grappling with it too. It's complicated, right. but, but with, with the areas that we talk about, it feels really essential. Yeah. And of course it's complicated. Um, uh, but, but it feels like, you know, like when, uh, Josh first mentioned me, I definitely, like, I feel like it's a group that was, uh, forgotten or not talked about or not thought about for years and years and years. 
And then this big sea change happened and it happened so fast that, that we like skipped right over them almost, you know, uh, it's, it's, yeah. it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting thing, you know, within the theater, you know, I, I'm, I'm a student of the theater as well. And, you know, one of the big eye-opening things to me in the theater has always been how close to LGBTQ culture that I've been able to be. I'm just, you know, I'm a straight man, straight, I was going to say young man, but I'm probably not young anymore. I'm a straight man of color myself. And, um, you know, my exposure, a lot of my exposure, all of my exposure to queer culture has come from seeing theater in New York City for the last 25 years. Um, you know, so everything from Rent that really opened my eyes, but to folks like Taylor Mack or like um, MJ Kaufman, like just incredible writers, folks who are making making work uh, and opening my eyes to things. And I think that that is, you know, Jeremy Harris, like whoever it is creating this incredible work. And um, and I want to be able to be part of that conversation, too, not just for myself, but for other folks who, you know, whose voices we may not hear in those spaces, too. You know, it, it's always about expanding the conversation as much as we can expand it. I agree. Access. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Uh, Christopher Diaz, I'm so grateful for your time, for your energy and for your art. Um, there's a total like breath of fresh air. And, you know, and you're, you're the only one doing what you're doing in theater right now. Trying, you know, you know, there's folks out there, there's folks out there and, 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 you know, we're all trying to, you know, spread the word and spread the wealth. So, you know, I'm glad I'm, I'm super grateful to you for doing this conversation. Super grateful to Profile for taking on this play. Welcome to the Royals coming up uh, later on this season. A few other things down the road. And, you know, hopefully we'll get to, to chat some more about all of that. All about all of that. All right. Right on, brother. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. And we will be right back with William Malcolm Flex Evans. Hi friends, Josh Hecht here, the Artistic Director at Profile Theatre. You know, while the elaborate entrance of Chad Deity is running on the main stage at Imago Theatre, downstairs in the rehearsal room we are already in the midst of rehearsals for our next play, King of the Yees, by the incredible Lauren Yee, and directed by one of my favorite local directors, Lava Alipai. I know that you won't want to miss this play. If you saw The Great Leap at PCS or Cambodian Rock Band at Oregon Shakespeare Festival, you won't want to miss this autobiographical play by one of our generation's most prolific playwrights. As a major player in the Yi Family Association over the last two decades, a men's club formed during the gold rush, Larry Yi is a charming leader in San Francisco's Chinese community. His daughter Lauren, the playwright, is eager to move away from the trappings of her childhood neighborhood and on to new opportunities in her life. But when scandal erupts and her father goes missing, Lauren must navigate the myths and magic of Chinatown, uncover the past, and embrace her heritage in order to find her father. This funny, surreal, touching tale explores the importance of culture, race, nationality, and the joys and pains of truly getting to know family. Performances begin November 3rd, and tickets are on sale now on our website, profiletheater.org. Join us. And we are back with William Malcolm Flex Evans. I am here with William Evans, otherwise known as Malcolm Flex, professional wrestler, wrestler, uh, local. Yeah. Yes, I'm based out of Oregon right now. I travel up and down the Pacific Northwest. I'll be in Canada this November, um, Costa Rica in April, 
and I'll be gone for three months out in uh, New Zealand next June. So I'm getting around there right now. Um, so just spreading the name, spreading the love, spreading the brand. All doing professional wrestling. Yes, this has opened up so many doors for me from doing professional wrestling. Um, I've got to be an extra in movies. I've gotten to do commercials. Uh, I've had the pr privilege and the fulfillment to be able to open up a wrestling school with uh, two of my buddies, Oregon Pro Wrestling School. Um, so, and then also doing the, the consulting for the play, The Elaborate Interest of Chad Deity. Um, it's all stemmed from wrestling. Like I've, it's been my love, my passion. I wanted to be the Hulk Hogan's, the Rocks, and everything, the Roddy Roddy Vipers, uh, to be able to go out there and um, do everything. <laughs> That's the way I looked at it. They were able to do everything because they were very pro. There's nothing like pro wrestling being able to uh, adapt to any situation and 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 listening to everyone else around you. I'm not gonna lie. Um... When they, when they were like, hey, we want to interview this guy who's a professional wrestler, I was super excited. Less so as an adult, but I was, but especially like when I was like uh, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, I used to love professional wrestling. Like a lot of those guys you just mentioned, uh, Rowdy Roddy P Piper, um, Hulk Hogan, um, Tommy Wildfire Rich, uh, Dusty Rose, The American Dream, Jimmy Superfly Schnooker. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. I, used to, I used to love old WWF wrestling. So I'm super excited to um, meet someone who does that for a living. And, you know, one of the things, one of my first impressions right out the gate was you feel a lot more soft-spoken than I thought you were going to be. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I, I got that whole Tyson approach. Um, you know, soft-spoken and, and, and mean in the ring. Um, but I'm really, I'm really just all about spreading love man that's that's what i'm doing you know i i emote my energy out there to everyone else and they send me back theirs and I, when i say there's nothing like it there really is nothing like it and it's just when you're sitting up there at the top of the ropes and you, you hear everybody else just chanting your name and you're giving it back to them it's just it's it's so fulfilling uh, it, it, like i said it goes back to with me coaching i because i've gotten a lot better by being able to coach um, and seeing the kids, the kids grow, um, and in, in matches within the year, like that, that's, that's why I'm all about love. I'm look, I'm Malcolm X when he came back from Mecca and when everyone, you know, he was back, everyone was bamboozled and fooled and was like, no, it's just about love, love. You're the human being, man. And so that's, that's what I spread when I'm out there. Tough love in the ring though. Cause my opponent now, they're, they're, they're right. going to have to feel that right. heat. Yeah. That sounds amazing. So, okay, uh, you said there's like there's nothing else like it. Um, uh, how did you start? Like, like I said, I loved wrestling when I was a kid. It never occurred to me to go do it for a living. Like, how did you first get started? So I always knew I wanted to do it. I knew I thought you had to get your backup things in order first. I listened to all the other adults and everything in my life, and. It was go to college, you know, get a good job, you know, um, you know, good, good, good grades and everything. Have a backup plan. So I did that all that first. So I went to college, went to the military, uh, went into law enforcement, and I, I, uh, played football. You know, played football in college and everything. That's how I got in there. Um, so I did all those things first. 
but I was never happy with it because I just wanted to go wrestle. And I want to say, uh, I was working a part-time security job back in 2009. And one of the, one of my peelers, um, the rock Dwayne Johnson, he had come back for WrestleMania that year in 2009. He was one of your what? Uh, pillars. Uh, one of my gotcha. pillars. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So sure. he was like basically my foundation to let like my deciding factor. I was like, I can do this. I'm going to go do this, you know, as a, as a teenager, you know, during the attitude era. And, um, what appealed to me with him was just his confidence in the way he walked around and he was just super positive, but super, um, tough at the same time so that's what that's why he's my foundation because i i like you said i'm soft-spoken I, yeah i was a soft-spoken kid as well so um but back in 2000 uh fast forwarding in 2009 i was working a security job parking cars i was you know directing them and i was geeked out that the rock was coming back because i had gone away from wrestling for a while because i was living life where it was you know all those things the the schooling the military the law enforcement so i got started pretty late and uh, i was geeked about the rock at this parking lot one of my co-workers told me oh man you seem really excited about that i was like yeah i'm gonna do it one day i just i just haven't figured out how to do it yet and he said well i got a guy who's been in the wwe um it's what you call like um dark matches he went in there and did a dark match or two and he's like hey i got a guy who can get you in and get you training and i said really so i called this guy like right afterwards after he gave me his number and i had i hadn't heard anything from him for like three months and then finally um three months we met in a ymca in south hill um uh, south hill washington so puyallup washington and he showed me how to do a couple of different things and then two months later i was in the ring it was like but there's so much yeah there was so much more that i needed to know but you i said was just dark matches what is what is a dark match in dark matches uh, it doesn't really air on um tv it's like a house show um but he had done done a couple of those and he then he did um what's it called um he did a couple of tv stints as well well when i say stints i mean he like he showed up uh on raw and and i think maybe got in a smackdown so uh he showed me a little bit then um that was basically how i got my start uh just by chance uh i hadn't i hadn't gone to a school or anything yet one of the main things to get into pro wrestling you want to find a credible school um well after two three years i needed to go to a school because what this guy taught me was how to defend myself uh, so i did a little muay thai i did a little jujitsu so i learned how to do uh, defend myself on top of the wrestling you know and so from that um after that two three years i finally went to a pro wrestling school which was down in salem called um uh, west coast wrestling connection and I, I stayed down there with uh, Lynn Denton for a while and then went and got other trainings from like Ric Flair, um, D'Lo Brown. Wait, wait, wait. You met Ric Flair? Yeah, twice. Um, when I was in college, <laughs> when I was in college the first time, I met him at his gym. 
um, in Wilsonville, uh, North Carolina. He had just been what walking. What was he, he like? Oh, uh, just to me, it was just down to earth guy. You know, what's up, champ? Like he calls everyone champ. Um, wow. And so, you know, he was working, so I didn't bother him any. I was in there for like a, a tryout, arena football tryout for one of my buddies because I was still a junior in college at this time. And so I just remember my buddy, he was so geeked out. He ran out to his car, grabbed the pit, pen and paper. I was like, why did you go out to your car and get to do that? And then we're in the Trika gym, bro. And, and so he ran out to his car, got something, came back. And he's like, oh, man, I'm so thank you so much for meeting you and me. I was just like, OK, cool. I'll see him one day. I wasn't really worried about it. I was like, I, I guess that's how I am. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll see him one day. Hopefully I can get him in the ring one day. But um and i didn't think anything of it and then when i met him again it was at a, a camp um a harley race camp back in 2015 i went out to missouri um uh, troy missouri for harley race camp it was like a week-long camp and i met him out there um he took a liking to me he he made me run in slacks <laughs> he made me run the ropes in the slacks um because he, he took a look at me. He was like, hey, can you run ropes? And I was like, yes. He's like, do you need to dress down? <laughs> I was like, uh, if you need to see it right now, I can. But then um, it was like when he first walked in the room. So he made me run the ropes uh, right there. And this kept me by his side most of the time. So I know he didn't remember me from Wilsonville. Um, but I was like, whatever. Like I said, I, I would get my opportunity again. And I did. So that's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of the greatest in the world. Hey man, I mean Ric Flair. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I tend to, I think, react the same way you did when I'm around celebrities. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I understand your friend geeking out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but it sounds like you are from this area, the Pacific Northwest. Um, were you uh, born and raised around here? Uh, yeah, I was born in Newburgh, New York, upstate New York. Um. Uh, military brat moved around uh, a little bit uh, from Washington State and then in Germany for seven years. Yeah. Uh, so that's where I got a lot of my upbringing, all of my foundation, my beliefs and everything from that. Yeah, I was uh, a military brat as well. Um, my, my dad was in the Air Force. We also spent some time overseas. Oh, that's the best force. That's uh, yeah. before before I joined, I was I was looking around. And I was like, uh, well, if I join the Air Force, I can't defy the laws of gravity, so I'm good. If I do, <laughs> uh, if I do the Army and the Marines, uh, I don't think I want to be dodging bullets. You know, I think I'm gonna try my luck with the water. As much as I can't stand it, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I'll, I'll be shipboard. And then I picked a job that I didn't need to be on the ship. I was a CB construction battalion. Um, and so we re- we would go in and help the uh, Marines then when they needed something uh, built up or needed a bridge or something, we would help them uh, get through the terrain that way and or set up a base for them. That's what CB's thing. And we fought too. Like we carried um, M16s and everything as well. Right. Um, but yeah, we built and we fought. Um but yeah, it was it was a fun time. The military was, like I said, it, it more so as a child um, because it was in Germany, just enjoying all the food out there, uh, and that's what I'm going to enjoy most uh, about doing this trip here overseas to Costa Rica and New Zealand because then New Zealand is a tr- is a is a is a haul from like Japan, Australia, Pacific Islands, 
uh, some Asian um, countries as well. So, yeah, I'm going to be. This is a re- this is a wrestling trip. This is a wrestling trip. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Right on. Right yes, on. Yes, yes. So now, um, uh, tell me about Chad Deedy and what it's been like to work on this show. Um, what, what's it like to work with actors? Uh, it was very eye opening. I thought we were divas. Uh, in pro wrestling, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but no, I I definitely get the um, the what is it called? Like taking care of yourself. Uh, they're they're getting out there. They want to be able to take care of themselves. Uh, I I did not know that in stunts they didn't come that close to one another uh, because the things that I've done uh, extra work I've always touched. But the theater is a little bit different, and it's so detailed that I was like, "Oh man, I need to get my stuff together." Like uh, because the the going through all the tech, the lines, the spacing, the spotting—it was just like, "Well, and this is why I love pro wrestling because I don't have to do all of these things. I train to be in these places already, and I can just ad lib. And if something goes wrong, we just play it up. Uh, but with the play, um." What I meant by um, diva, um, there's just like, no, I'm a little sore today. I don't think I want to do this. And I'm like, to me, being the athlete, it's like, no, suck it up. Let's go. Uh, but I get like acting because that's your gig. Like if you're if you don't work, you don't get paid. So if you get all bruised up. And so for me, it was just like I had to process that within myself because I'm like, no, let's do this until we get it right. That's the athlete <laughs> in me. That's the father in me. And so that was an adjustment for me. And that's what I that's why I kid about the whole diva thing. Uh, because I just like, oh, I love it. They they get all bruised and everything. And I'm like, oh, you want to call your double? Like, come on in here. Um, <laughs> that's why uh and, and one of the guys, uh, so Chad himself, uh Tevin. We got we got into some uh, nice discussions about pro wrestling and and theater because uh, he used the f word for me for pro wrestling and that's fake and so uh, we had some uh, battles back and forth and I think he conceded sort of I was like what's the difference between acting and pro wrestling and uh, he was like the emotion and the feeling as an actor when you're doing you feeling I am surprised I'm surprised that Tev took that stance. Oh, he did. I was oh, like, that's interesting. I was like, listen. And to me, I was like, he's messing with me. I know he is because that's the same thing. His thing is he, it ruined him as a child. That's why I went into a whole Santa Claus thing and everything. And oh, so that, that it was like prescriptive kind of, that was. Yeah. 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 That it was, um, that the, they knew the outcome. And so he was really upset by that. So. And he has Oh, uh, that's funny. It is. I, it's so funny. Yeah. I never really went through that. That's funny. Yeah. I mean, at some point you, um, you know, you recognize that it's fake, I guess. But, it, but, but like, say, for instance, like all the stuff that you're talking about, you all, you feel it all during wrestling. Yes. Um, I was, uh, it feels like I was a little bit before your time, but I remember, um, uh, cause <laughs> I used to like deliver newspapers for my job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the contests for uh, getting new 
customers that I got more than once was tickets to go see pro wrestling, mm -hmm. you know? And like, like I said, I was like, I was a super fly snooker fan. And I remember like when he came into the ring, like, and I remember my, my dad used to go with me and just like the intensity of the motion in the crowd was mm -hmm. astounding, mm -hmm. you know? And at, and at that time, uh, Jim, Jimmy Superfly Snooker was the bad guy, mm. you know? And so like him going from, uh, but he had this following, like, you know, people like me and like, you know, and we would go like insane. And uh, I've I seen Andre the Giant, you know, and if you've ever mm -hmm. seen Andre the Giant, Andre the Giant fight somebody like the um, the, the emotional intensity that from the audience is over the top. Like, you like, that, you know, not, there's nothing like um, it. You, like and even in regular sports, you, you a lot of times you have to get to a certain level of the game like you have to get to like a playoff game or mm -hmm. a game against a rival or the game has to be going into overtime or something um before you before you get that kind of emotional intensity just for the 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 participants entering the, the arena you mm -hmm. know mm -hmm. and that's why the, the the play i got to see some tech work because i've been trying to stay away from it to keep the magic for me from watching how it all comes together like I've heard the read-throughs and everything, but to actually see them go through it, it's uh, I love the way that it's coming together. Um, I want to be able to see see it, you know, all at once with it, like it all put together, like even this the scenes, the wrestling scenes and everything, because that's what I was brought in for was to make sure safety was good, um, movements were good, um, and authentic, right? Correct. Very authentic. Because that was my biggest thing was um, we're not going to sit here and phone this in. We're going to look like you went through at least three months of training <laughs> as right. opposed to a, right. three weeks, you know. Um, right. So. And is the power bomb, is, is that a, is that a wrestling move that you were familiar with already? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, you had Taker, Last Ride. I mean, yeah, power bomb is a uh, it's a uh, it's up there. Let's put it that way. It's a it's a big boy move. Um, yeah. So and, yes, and the actors are handling it. Uh yes, yes, and uh, no, because it it it's it's really a uh, uh, um, mind thing. Like uh, the human's body is is reactionary to falling, and sometimes you don't want to uh, put your arms down when you're trying to catch yourself. So. Um, it's it's pretty nerve wracking, but I I think they have uh, come a long way in this short period of time, and so I applaud them for that. William Evans, Malcolm Flex, the Honorable Malcolm Flex, um, thank you so much for joining me, and thanks for your your insight and your uh, um, intelligence and your frankness. Um, it's been a super fun interview. Um, I, I look I look forward to seeing your work, and you know um, you have my email address now. Um, or you're, when, maybe just point me in the direction. Like when, when you're performing in town, when you're wrestling in town, I would love to come see it. Oh, absolutely! Uh, I know we're in a big show this uh, Saturday, Defy, at uh, one of the armories here uh, in Portland. Uh, so I can definitely send you that. Uh, I have my definitely social medias me and everything. Uh, my social medias. You have social media or anything? Because I'm yeah. on Twitter at the Flex Brand, and this Flex with a PH. Uh, and then also uh, on... Is that all one word, at the Flex brand? Yes, uh, at the Flex brand, yes. Uh, and then Facebook and Instagram is just Malcolm Flex or Honorable Malcolm Flex, one of the two. So, 
and check those out and I can send it. Like I said, I can definitely send you some dates uh, for that. Uh, we're in a show at Defy. I can send you a link for tickets also. You get a discount with my link um, with a couple of my students uh, from the school, uh, Oregon Pro Wrestling School. We are going to be in a five on five match um, this Saturday. So it should be fun. That does sound like fun. All right, my man. Thanks a lot for your time and energy. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. It's uh, been a privilege and an honor. That's right. Peace. See ya. And that is it for this edition of Satellite Beyond the Page. Thank you to Christopher Diaz and William Malcolm Flex Evans. Satellite was put together by the creative team of Jamie M. Ray, line producer, Robert A. K. Gagno, sound engineer, Matt Ween's composer, and Studio De Bermea in Portland, Oregon, which exists on the traditional lands of Multnomah, Kaflamet, Clackamas, Tumwater, and Malala bands of the Chinook peoples, the Tualatin band of the Kalapuya peoples, and many other tribes who made their homes along the Columbia River. We acknowledge and honor the ancestors and survivors of this place and recognize that we are here because of the sacrifices forced upon them. And we honor their descendants who live on. And that is as real as can be. And I am Bobby Bermea. Thank you for joining us for Satellite Beyond the Page. <laughs>